Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into closure programs and libraries. This week, I'm talking about data-driven UIs with Ryan Robitaille, the creator of DataRabbit. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, so I saw DataRabbit come across Twitter a week or 10 days ago, and it was a very fascinating tool. I don't even quite know how to describe it, so maybe I'll pass it over to you and let you tell us, you know, what is DataRabbit and why should you make this fascinating tool? It's funny you say that because like even I have trouble describing it because <laughs> it's so many ideas wrapped into one thing. And like if you get it, you get it. But to describe it, uh, so basically I've been calling it, it's a flow-based closure and closure script eval REPL client, right? That's made for exploring data and code, composing it back together, and then presenting it. The focus initially was data visualization. So there's a lot of stuff in you know of that in there. But you could almost call it like a render-friendly closure IDE at this point, right? Each block individually runs a piece of code, and the output of that code is passed to another block, if you'd like, that can interpret it, visualize it, manipulate it again, mutate it, pass it on somewhere else, just like you'd use atoms, and you can use atoms as well. And then you're basically generating this whiteboard map of the system, right? So Rich Hickey talks about you know systems in the large, systems in the small. I'm a guy who builds dashboards for a living, right? So when I'm doing business logic and queries and manipulation and all this stuff, in my head, it's this system of pieces, right, that flow together to create the output, which is the pretty graphs and the actions and all that. So I wanted something that could not only build those artifacts, right, but replicate that kind of, here's my model, here's my map of how this thing works, right? And eventually, I ended up with what the tool is now, which is, like I said, a, a canvas spatial REPL client, essentially. Yeah. For people who haven't seen the video or checked out the site, I'll put links in the show notes and maybe just have at least a quick look at it before you keep listening to the conversation because <laughs> it might be rather abstract without that. Yeah, the datarabbit.com is actually built in DataRabbit also, which I think is confusing for some people. I got this great idea right at the point I was going to uh, deliver it. I was like, oh man, I can just take out the closure REPL bits and just make it all CLJS and I can make that the website. It sounds like an awesome thing when you're building stuff, but I think when people go there, they're like, what is this? Like, what am I looking at? So yeah, a little bit of messaging there I need to, I need to clear up. I mean, I don't know how confused you were when you first went to the page. It was overwhelming, I think. There was just so many things going on there, but I watched the video and kind of got a feel for how one meant to use the DataRabbit system and fell into place. Nice. So you've been working on the system for, I could see kind of evidence going back to 2018, 2019. What's the history of this project? Yeah, and basically it's been three or four years. It started as a series of prototypes. So to go a little bit farther back, when I was at Facebook in 2015, 2016, I was on a team, you know, business intelligence, you know, data eng. And I've been building tools forever, just on the side and sometimes for clients, but I didn't like, according to my <laughs> judgment, the tools that they, that they had for the homegrown stuff, right? Like I do a lot of SQL, I do a lot of Viz. So eventually I created a tool also called Rabbit at Facebook that was nothing like this tool, but it was kind of the seed of the idea, right? I want to be able to go in, find the data I need, generate something, be that a graph or a query or whatever, have access to the source of that, not like magic, right? You know, you know, some tools you hit a UI button and it generates some magic thing that you then can't modify or fork or do anything with. It's just this like abstracted away thing. I wanted something to generate code that I could then take the code, modify, fork that, check that in, and then make whatever. So that was the spark of the idea. I left Facebook, went some other places. I was a Tesla, whatever. 
And I was like, okay, I'm going to do Rabbit the right way, the way I want it to, except as I went along and building the prototypes. So this is the fourth prototype in a series that I made. I mean, they all build on each other, but this is like kind of like fundamentally different than previous ones because this one is more about the flow and the map and the graph. The previous ones are more about layout and SQL and Viz. Like I doubled down on different areas for each one, deciding what works and what doesn't work. It turns out that what works, at least for me, is focusing on the relationships of things, right? How the blocks talk to each other, what you can see in and out of the UI, and then add the other stuff on top of it, as opposed to like, I had this thing that can generate really cool like Flexbox UI components, but these other parts aren't so good and you got to code this thing yourself by hand. And like, this was the one that was kind of like the Goldilocks of all those different things. So yeah, I mean, if it's in starts, it's been a passion project for sure. I mean, I have notebooks and notebooks full of like notes and drawings. And it's interesting when you build something and you really, really care. And, but at the same time, you spend a ton, a ton of time thinking about it. It definitely leads you down a lot of like scope creep coming out of the way, but it's interesting. This is the first time I've had a project like that, where I was like deeply invested, like intellectually and solving this problem. And even though it probably isn't the right way to do it, the amount of thought put into all these different things, while they seem like just whatever is like, it's actually, I put a lot of time into these different concepts. So then it's been a long road for sure. <laughs> you kind of touched on this a little bit, but who is the kind of ideal user for data rabbit when it's finished? Who would, what, and, and in what context would you imagine people sitting down to do data rabbit? So when it's finished, I think now it's almost people who are interested in closure. They might want to learn closure. People who want to build data visualizations and dashboards in closure because it's really turned into more of a generic thing. Ideally, I wanted something kind of like like a superset or a metabase. You know, I was obsessed with just that, you know, getting the data, manipulating it, aggregating it, right? Creating a visualization of some type. And that's great. I've been doing that my whole career on JavaScript and I spent a long time doing Tableau stuff. I still do. I'm really familiar with that world, right? But the more I drilled down into it, the more flexibility I wanted. And in order to get the flexibility I wanted, I basically have to come down to, okay, we're writing code, right? We're writing closure script and closure to get the data and to draw the data, right? So I want to make it easy enough to go in for anybody. Like I can imagine a universe where there's actual tutorials in this where they have like, here's this piece that does that and it transfers this vector to this block. It draws this with that. Like the great thing about the spatial layout, at least to me, is that I can see all the individual pieces, right? If I understand a small piece of the system, seeing how it interacts with the rest of the system is a lot easier when it's drawn out that way, as opposed to just it's just being nested in one big text file. Yeah. I kind of see it almost as a generic REPL. It'll be a while before I get the messaging and documentation to a point where people are comfortable that way. Yeah, I mean, it went from a data viz tool to kind of a generic REPL, but I think the feature is more suited to making dashboards and data vision. I have a lot of like sugar UI in there for that kind of thing. So yeah, data viz flavored closure experimentation. I don't know. Like I said, and messaging is a bit difficult right now. I so wanted to get it out. I had like one day to write all the docs, write all the material. I was like, oh, let's just get it out. <laughs> I'll work with that later. <laughs> so apologies. I don't have quite a polished message, but it's definitely an interesting beast to describe. Yeah, I think something that made it kind of click for me was when I was looking at the movie poster of the Owen Wilson wow thing, and it shows like a JPEG of the movie poster. And then I was able to change the rendering perspective of that into Hiccup, like the code behind it and see kind of both at the same time, which is often when you're coding, there's a large coding an app 
certainly the the code and the output that you send out hiccup say there's such a large distance sometimes between that and seeing it on the screen and what actually happens with it and collapses that to they're in the same place yeah i'm a big fan of the live coding kind of thing right i want to see what i'm doing as i'm doing it and I guess it's kind of overlooked because if you look at it, essentially every single block you write is its own configurable live coding panel, right? And as you said, like the JPEG of the movie poster, unlike a REPL, which is like text-based, this says, hey, if it's a JavaScript render object, we'll show it. If it's a map, I'll give you the option to see it in text or see it in like this structured recursive view. If it's a vector of uniform maps, right? Like a row set for a viz or something. Like I'm going to show it as like a React virtual grid of rows. Like it's just kind of like, I want to be able to modify stuff and then see what it is in every way possible, right? I think it's kind of unique in that way. I know there's some tools to do things similar, but in different ways. I wanted this to be like, seem super user-friendly. I mean, think of it this way, you know, Clojure is a data first language, right? Everything is data. I mean, why shouldn't we be able to look at everything in every different way? Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about the sort of technical underpinnings, like there's self-hosted closure script, there's an NREPL, you're passing data between these two. What's kind of the backbone technically of this? Sure. So the server piece is is pretty straightforward. It's a pedestal app that hosts a very large, well, not very large, I don't know, I don't even know how many lines it is, but a shadow CLJS compiled applica, a reframe application, right, which is the front end. Lots of different stuff. The closure script is bootstrapped through shadow some added libraries and some things to make that work. It talks to the pedestal app to connect to its own NREPL that it runs on the side, but you can also connect it to external NREPLs. Like if you have libraries you want to use, or I think I have a video where, you know, I show you use like Encanter and some ML data set stuff, which I wouldn't include in my distribution because that's licenses and whatever. But it's just the same idea. I want to use, this is my project. I want to connect to my project and execute functions inside it. So yeah, in terms of like the parameter passing, if you're passing between a server and a client block, obviously it packages up the entire output and kind of inserts it in because that's right now the only way I can talk between those two layers. If it's called CLJS to CLJS, it has this like, I think you mentioned the, yeah, the, the triple colon parameters. It's a pseudo map of the input that is in the background treated as a reframe subscription, right? So not only have that to allow things to re-render, but I'm also kind of, regardless of what kind of block it is, whether it's a closure or closure script, I'm looking at the incoming data from the previous block, right? And if the incoming data changes, I force a render of the downstream block. So basically with the subscriptions and the passing things, it creates this chain reaction that has some intelligence to it. You know, I don't fire things so the dependencies run and some other things to make sure we don't get in like a wonky state. But it definitely is kind of, like a DAG model, essentially, right? With some hacks to make the closure and closure strip stuff work. Atoms work exactly as the flow lines you see in the, on the block, right? If I create, if I define an atom in one block and then I mutate it or deref it in another block, it will draw the line and says, hey, this is this atom that we're using here. And all in the same namespace, like no big deal. I want it to be pretty transparent, right? Because you can use tons of atoms on the closure strip side, but if I want to send a map to a backend closure REPL, right? I can't cross the streams with the atom there. I got to send it kind of physically. And one of the examples in the REPL video, I actually have the like an encanter and then closure script sliders that are pushing integers to an encanter closure REPL that just runs it when it gets new values, which is kind of cool. Nothing groundbreaking, but just being able to whip that up and like, hey, I drag this here, drag that there. Like here, use this value. Like, I mean, I think that's pretty cool personally. 
My goal was to make something. When you're on a project that's so long like this, it's tough to keep the motivation up. And eventually I was like, you know what? Even if I'm creating like outsider art, I want to make something that I think is interesting and useful. And then as long as I'm satisfied, like, cool, people can take it or leave it. So the interface kind of got some novelty to it, right, that I'm used to, but may have some rough edges for people. But I think there's some really interesting stuff in there that I quite haven't seen in this configuration before, personally. And so one possible use of this would be, I'm a data analyst, I want to create some kind of dashboard and Tableau or Power BI or whatever my kind of standard tool is not really cutting it. I just can't do the thing. I could go to DataRabbit, create an interface for whoever's going to consume this dashboard to work with it, but also like the code behind is still that, you know, if they were curious, they could maybe do some tweaks or you could go back and is that kind of one use that you would imagine of it? Yeah, definitely. And for the data exploration, data analyst, data scientist thing, one of the important things I think there are helpers in here, right? Like if I paste in a JDBC map with my connection info, it'll automatically hit the metadata, turn that into a list of tables. I can drag up the tables. It'll write a SQL query, a JDBC connection, just to get me to see the data. Like we're not intending to use this code technically in production, but we're generating code so the analyst or whoever can kind of go down that rabbit hole, no pun intended, and see what they're trying to see, right? Because as a data viz guy, the first step is always, where is the data? What does it look like? How messed up is it? And what do I have to do to it to get it to what I want to see? And like that stage is so important to have this really quick feedback loop. Oh, there's this thing. Oh, not that thing. Oh, it's this thing. Oh, not that. The helper UI I have is kind of like, I want to be able to go from that JDBC map to not type any code and generate a whole bunch of different graphs, put those graphs together, link them together with a filter and have that work. So I can kind of see what I'm dealing with without having to type any code. But if I want to modify the code or whatever, productionalize it, I can go and I can change any part of that code. There's literally, I would say 99%, there's no magic in the code I generate. It should theoretically work on any closure script, closure, as long as the libraries are there. Like I don't do any kind of like, here's this magic function that you pass a thing to, right? And then I spit out this other thing. <laughs> it's like, nope, I'm generating ugly not ugly, but you know what I mean? The actual code that renders the thing. Yeah. So theoretically, you could take it and paste it in somewhere else and it should work. Well, the only exception is the NPM imports that I'm using for some of the viz libraries. I have a small wrapper function for that just because of the bootstrapping, I can't access that. But I'm looking into possibly fixing that. Not fixing that, but like doing like a closure script REPL, external REPL, maybe like a Node.js one. I don't know. There's some stuff I'm working on the roadmap for there, but that's the idea, right? If I'm trying to do a data thing, while it's not, meant for only data, it should be very easy for me to put together, like on the website, the Bigfoot Viz. There really is no code there. That's me dragging around things, <laughs> looking at things and linking them together. I think there's one block that I created like a merge and you know, I merged two maps together or something. And that's the kind of thing that I want. I want to enable stuff to work and then go back and you can make it sexy and fast and pretty. But just getting that, oh, hey, look at this heat map. There's a lot of Bigfoot attacks in the fall. Like, okay, that's interesting. Maybe I'll do a Viz on that, right? Like, I don't know. Asking and answering questions is super important to me. That's kind of one of the things that I like optimize into, if that makes sense. And I've done a little bit of BI work five plus years ago. But one thing which I'd like to see was that the .rabbit files are just plain Eden and you could check that into source control. And that doesn't sound like maybe very revolutionary to an audience of developers, but to BI developers, <laughs> maybe that means a bit more to them. 
Yeah. I mean, so many of those tools, while they're great tools, are just like just proprietary hunks of XML and just nightmare stuff. So I wanted to have it as localhost running, right? It creates a text file, like an EDN that I can then load up. Like in the beginning, one of my other prototypes, I had it in a database and it was a whole bunch of tables. I'm like, this is cool, but it creates an extra dependency. And then like, you can't really check it in as easily. So I'm like, okay, we'll throw it in an EDN file. And in a release coming up, I'm actually going to have an unpacked version of that where instead of just an EDN file, it's actually a folder structure of each block in its own CLJ file or CLGS file, which will be so much easier for checking in and checking out. It'll have an EDN file for like metadata, right? But the actual code itself will be in its own file, which would be great. That's very cool. So you mentioned some of your early posts about direct manipulation and Brett Victor. And tell me a little bit more about kind of what you took from his work and how it's applying in DataRabbit. Sure. So I don't know when I first saw his videos, but it kind of blew my mind because he takes assumptions people have about computing and UIs and UXs and kind of says, well, what about this? Right. And he does it in a way where it speaks to me, like an artistic creative person, you know, like there's a great video he has with the dynamic visualizations where he kind of says, hey, if I'm drawing a graph, right, I can either use like Excel and like this pre-made thing where I have a couple of switches or I can draw it by hand, which means I have to throw it away when I'm done, or I can code it in like D3. And like, that means I'm not connected to what I'm drawing. The definition of coding is blindly manipulating symbols, <laughs> right? Like just, I'm typing some stuff and hoping it comes out on the other end. Like I can't simulate D3 in my, well, you kind of can, but not in the way you'd want to, right? So he has this whole thing, like, Two things. So a creator must have an immediate feedback to what they're creating. You know, if I type something, I want to see what it is right there. Like any delay in that feedback loop, asking and answering questions, right? If like if I'm limited to how many questions I can ask and get the answer back, like I can't ask as many. And that's that means I won't get as good of an outcome. He has this great demo and I kind of copied it with my little tree on the website, but manipulating values and scrubbing them in the editor. Just to see things that you might type in too, oh, that's cool, five, 10, but scrubbing it way up and down and think, oh, like these are thoughts we can't think, right? Enabled by kind of interfaces that give us that more, I don't want to call it artistic, but it's definitely like, you know, what value feels right? And he uses that in a lot of his work. Like, how do I have interfaces that, like you said, direct manipulation, right? I'm directly manipulating something and something is happening. So I want to do that as much as possible, as often as possible. I have a thing where you can scrub values, you can create dynamic dropdowns for things, not because I'm trying to create like, like here's a good example, like a data viz, like a, like a bar graph, right? I'm using Nevo bar graphs for this release, JavaScript library, really awesome, looks good based on D3, I'm, I'm pretty sure. And it's got a ton of options, right? Like if I spent time to build a UI to do all the options, it would be a big honking thing and it probably wouldn't even cover all of them and they're always changing, right? So all right, why don't we have the code you can look up his documentation and change what you want. But at the same time, the UI understands, hey, if you selected this key that is color scheme, and I know you're using Nevo, here's 30 color schemes in a dropdown, right? So I'm not taking away the ability to code. You can code whatever you want, but like, give me quick ways to directly manipulate the code where I get an answer quickly so I can focus my time on other more complicated things, right? And just me using it, like building some CSS and like Recom and like Flexbox and whatever, it's really great to be able to say, hey, what's padding? Okay, padding is like four pixels. And I'm like, okay. And then I scrub it. I'm like, oh, actually, it should be more like 10. Okay. <laughs> this font size should be down a little bit. Like, it's really nice to be able to go through and do that as opposed to the old way of like just 12, 14, 16, <laughs> 20. Oh, no. No, no, too much. 19. <laughs> right? That's kind of what I take away from his work. Very, very cool stuff. Were you familiar with him before seeing my posts? Yeah. Nice, nice. 
Yeah, I bring them up sometimes. And like, I guess in the Bay Area, people recognize it more. But I've, I've said it to some people and it's just like, they're like, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. <laughs> 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 Something about a tree. Like, I don't know what he means, but this is cool. But yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, what is it? He has this whole thing where I ever seen his like older ones where he's talking about like the arc of computing and where we're going and what is programming, what's not programming. Like, I love that kind of concept, right? Like, hey, they had assembly and then this guy built soap and the assembly guys were like, what are you doing? That's not programming. Like, you know, we have this <laughs> conception of like what things are and like people have like told me about this tool. They've been like, oh, this is kind of like weird. And like, you're kind of building like this thing. It's bizarre. And it's like, well, if we're not allowed to break the rules, like when are we going to create anything interesting that gets us to whatever the next level is? And I'm not saying that's me, right? But it's like, hey, like I had this idea of this thing. Let's see how it works. Some of the stuff in here is like flow-based programming, small talk. There's some really old ideas. I mean, I guess it's ironic that I'm using Clojure, which is based on, you know, <laughs> a list, which is also from like the 60s. But yeah, I mean, we forget. We forget what good ideas are because we're so, I don't know. People lack the ability to objectively look at stuff sometimes, I think. You know, is this good? Is this good? It's like, well, this is what it is. Like, well, that doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> I've gone way afield, far afield now. Sorry. No, that's good. And so tell me a bit about how closure is closure very important? Like, obviously, you use it for this, but could you have done the same thing in JavaScript if you were? What's the closureiness of this? Sure. I mean, I could probably envision something like this in JavaScript that uses JavaScript and Node, right? But just the amount of boilerplate and whatever. I mean, essentially, you think of it this way. It's a React-based thing. And since React meshes so well with the way ClojureScript that actually works, it makes things so much more simple. You could probably make this in JavaScript. It would take a lot more time and it would be a bit more esoteric, I think, as if this is not esoteric. But one of the things about, like I said, about Clojure is that, you know, code is data, data is code, which makes it really nice for these type of builder application, like looking at stuff. You know, I can generate code that essentially just like maps and lists and I don't have to do some crazy... I don't know. I've written a lot of JavaScript in my life and it just seems to get more, and this is probably me, my ignorance, it just seems to get more and more complicated, but without getting so much benefit, it feels. I mean, I used to write tons of stuff in JavaScript and Python, like Flask apps and like whatever. I mean, I've been building these kind of stuff for forever, but I don't even think I'd take on something this ambitious in JavaScript. There's something that's kind of similar called Nato, Nato.dev, does it in JavaScript. He's a JavaScript React guy. Very, very cool. Kind of like this, where you're assembling things in a canvas and they're talking to each other, but it's very much JavaScript based, right? Where this, I feel, is more just, it's enclosure, right? But I just wanted to build general things and what have you. Definitely reframe made this monumentally easier. I can't even imagine how I would do this in JavaScript with the block-to-block -block communication. It would probably be very complicated and messy. And being able to, you know, talk to Clojure or ClojureScript, granted, we could have had Node, but... I just think the way closure is leans more to this kind of model, right? And I can build it very fast, building Flexbox and Recom incredibly fast. The whole thing is Recom Flexbox, really, which just saves so much time in building stuff and styling stuff. Besides that, when I started on down this project, I was obsessed with closure and I still am. <laughs> that was, it was like my thing. So that was probably the main reason. It was like, I almost started this in Python and I was like, oh, I should really, I really want to do it in closure. And I was like, I really don't know closure that well at that time. So I'm like, ah. Oh. That's going to be weird. So the first couple of prototypes were like me feeling out. You ever do that where you write some function or something and then you look at it like six months later and you're like, wow, like I'm so much smarter now. <laughs> but it's not really true, but it's just like, 
I've been looking at it for longer, you know. There's modules in here that I have to refactor, and I just know it was like the beginning of the project, and I know it's just going to be like a nightmare. <laughs> so I feel like, what the fuck does this even mean? <laughs> but yeah, I think Clojure has a lot to do with the ability to build something like this. And love the language, hope it grows more. I wouldn't even have bothered in Python and JavaScript. That's probably mostly on my skills, but I think there's a lot to be said for the pairing of those two things together for sure. So you mentioned reframe and each of these blocks producing subscriptions that other blocks subscribe to, or is it more bespoke? It's a little more bespoke than that. I mean, yes, there are subscriptions that other blocks subscribe to, but they don't exist in the block themselves, right? Like the block produces output. So I have a whole phase where the source code gets essentially rendered. If I have to insert subscriptions into parameters or like I have a dynamic namespace thing where I say where it inserts the name of the flow that I use for like subflows and, and that kind of, we can go into that later if you want. Yeah, I essentially have the AppDB is not only the definition of the objects, but all the connections and relationships, obviously, and then all their output and like code, pre-rendered code and after rendered code. And then I basically say, okay, who is looking at this block and who needs this block and send the subscription to the input output there. I mean, that was actually the first real hurdle in getting this to work. Right? I was, if I can make a thing that has blocks that can arbitrarily subscribe and unsubscribe from other blocks, but make the user feel like I'm just passing like just a value and have it just be that value, then I'll go deeper into this part of the prototype, right? But yeah, it's essentially lots of dynamic subscriptions lots of events. Reframe is amazing. Yeah, definitely agree with that. So people can go and download a zip file with kind of a sample project in the jar attached. What's kind of the future plans? Is this going to be commercial or open source? Or do you kind of have any thoughts of where to from here? I'm not quite sure, honestly. I definitely plan on open sourcing it at some point, and I wanted to get a few more releases in. And like I said, I got to refactor some stuff. I'm considering it's alpha one, right? I want to get closer to something that I consider like 1.0, and hopefully it doesn't take that long, and then open source it. But I think some of those barriers will be taken down. Like if I can figure out a way to do external CLJS REPLs where you can use my jar, but you're really talking to your own instances, right? I think it lessens the need for people to want to download and compile it themselves, right? Because it is a big shadow app that gets inserted into a fairly basic pedestal app. I would love it if they can just run the jar, connect to their own instances, right? And use my jar as basically the middleware for displaying things and rendering things. They wouldn't have to compile it themselves. I definitely have plans to open source it at some point, just when I'm not quite so sure. Commercial, I don't know if there's anything, I don't know how much is there commercially. You know, it's been out for like a week or so and people have been really into it, but we're in like a weird niche space. I love the community, but it's kind of like, what is the greater good, right? It's, you're not going to make, again, I guess that's neither here nor there, but I think it's probably better. Yeah. Yeah. And so your site mentions that you've done freelance stuff in the past. Can people hire you for work if they want to get this amazing design and data visualization talent applied to their own problems? Sure. I mean, I have a full-time job, uh, but at the same time, like I'm never uh, afraid of opportunity and knock on my door, send me an email, send me a tweet, whatever you want, DM me. This is the kind of stuff I love doing, right? I think you always do your best work when it's the things you care about as opposed to like things you just do, right? Yeah. Is there anything else we didn't cover that you're particularly proud of or was a real challenging technical feat to achieve? I briefly mentioned subflows. The REPL video that I did goes into it a little bit, but 
So you can imagine if you're looking at the site, you can see just stuff happening, whatever. I have this whole thing where I can say, hey, I'm, I'm building this flow. This is flow one. This is flow two. Then I can drag flow two into flow one and it will run within my flow, but as an instance of itself with its own state. Right. So then in my main flow, I can pass values in and out of that other flow, which is essentially just an instance of the other flow, which has its own graph and kind of use it as a micro application because within it, I guess it's hard to explain without seeing it. Right. But when that subflow is your block, when your block's a subflow, it means the panels on the editor of the block can be the outputs of the block in the flow, right? So if I have a block that has like some kind of selector thing and then an output thing, instead of having the code in the subflow block, I can have the editor be like actual UI that I built in this other flow that then I use in this flow. And I can almost do like, if you wanted to build like something parameters for a data viz or like a big parameterized map, you could build that in another flow instancing it, right? And that was kind of tricky to do, right? Because I have to have a whole set of state for that instance flow that's not a real thing you know it's like a ghost on top of my fairly complex dynamic subscription model so i don't know if it sounds complicated but when i sat down to do that feature i was like i thought this is never there's no way this is going alpha one <laughs> this is never gonna work but because of because of closure and reframe and just some magical stuff with this language man i mean I, there's some stuff in here that i never would have attempted in other other places but in closure you're just like oh like if i just think about it as a pure data problem and stop thinking about all the complicated stuff that I guess we're used to, right? As programmers, we're used to thinking about, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that. Like, no, like these are all just data structures. So how do I replicate this thing, give it its own state and make sure it stays away from the other things and has, again, terrible explanation, but <laughs> Rich is a genius, essentially. Yeah, I agree. Awesome. Well, this is fascinating. I'm glad I got to talk to you and I'm very keen to keep watching Data Rabbit and what comes next with it. Thanks for reaching out. I love talking to you, man.